and amen. While you are standing, while you are standing, would you open your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to Luke, the Gospel according to Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 7. I want to welcome you this morning to the New Beginnings Church. We are an expository teaching and preaching church, and we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time. Family? It just feels so good to hear y'all say that again. Amen. And so we invite you to study along with us today. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, there is a Bible under your chair. I noticed that we've lost a lot of things in the pandemic. We've lost uh, bringing our Bibles to church. We've lost the idea of even coming to church. And at the end of service today in my announcements, I'm gonna talk about what worship is and what it ain't. Facebook is entertainment. Zoom is entertainment. It's not worship. Amen, amen. So when I understand why we did it, because we needed to for safety precautions. But now the doors are open. Cut off Facebook. Come on, talk to me. And come to church. Tell your neighbor when you get home, that ain't worship. Worship is being able to look across the aisle and see your sister or your brother. Amen. Worship is singing together in fellowship and prayer with one another. Amen. Amen. So glad to have Mother Beverly home from Alabama. Welcome home, Mom. Amen. We love you and miss you. Luke 14, verse 7. If you got to say, I got it, Pastor. So he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, he said this to them. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest somebody more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him who's been invited will come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will what family? Be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, unless they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Well, why? Because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid 
at the resurrection of the just. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 I want to tag this message today. Jesus is teaching at the party. Amen. Jesus is teaching at the party. You may be seated. New beginnings this morning. Our God, Jesus the Christ, wants to talk to us about humility, honor, and helping others. And I'm afraid that many of us have already checked out on this sermon. We've checked out because we think we know what humility, honor, and helping others really is. But I want to suggest today there's a difference between your thinking and God's thinking. There's a difference between what the world says and what the Bible says. And so it's my prayer today that you and I, through the course of this sermon, would develop humility, honor, and a mind to help others. Can I give you the background of the text? Jesus is teaching at a special dinner party, Brittany, that was thrown for him. But unfortunately, this dinner has not been organized to bless Jesus or encourage him. It was developed and designed to catch him, to trap him, right? So that they could accuse him of being against the laws of God. But nevertheless, Jesus is going to use this setting and he's going to use this opportunity, Reverend White, to teach them about biblical principles for living. He was going to do what? Teach them about biblical principles for living. And so today, he introduces us to what I call as true humility uh-huh. and uh, uh, honor and helping others as a kingdom necessity. Mm-hmm. Have you ever met somebody that acted like they was humble? Oh, Lord. <laughs> but really it was fake? Preachers do this bad. We see each other we're like, oh, Doc, good to see you, man. If I had your hand, I'd cut mine off. You know all that. You know all that type of stuff. You ever got some friends like that? You know they don't really mean what they saying. Jesus was in a room full of actors. That's why this sermon is good for church folks. And he decides to teach them these three critical lessons. Well, as he's teaching these lessons, those are going to be our points today. So I believe that as believers in this fallen world, Christ wants us to know we've been called to humility. Number one, Christ wants us to know we've been called to honor others. And number three, we've been called to help others. If you never come back here again, you got the whole Christian, the kingdom thing right here. Call to humility, 
A call to honor and a call to help. See that with me. Number one, a call to humility. Uh huh. A call to honor and a call to amen. Let's unpack the first lesson. A call to humility. In verse 7 through 9, he says this. So he told them a parable. Whenever he's going to teach or bring home a message, he gives them an object lesson. What's a parable? Well, a parable is a heavenly message with an earthly meaning. He's going to give them this parable. And he teaches the parable to those who have been invited to the wedding or to this dinner, right? They're not hosting it, but they're what? Yes, they've been invited. And he notes to them when, when he says, um, he noted how he saw them, how they chose when they came into the dinner, the best places. He says to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. Let somebody more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him who comes in will say to you, give up this place to this man or give up your seat to this man. And you'll begin with shame to have to leave now and go to the lowest place. <laughs> Beloved, when you come to this first portion of the text, you and I get to see Jesus teaching this parable to people regarding the importance of having humility in life. He suggests that when they get invited to the wedding feast or the celebration, that they don't rush to take the seat next to the guest of honor, but rather they should wait to see where the one who has invited them will want to sit them. Why? Because they may be asked to move from the seat that wasn't reserved for them. Can I say some more? Jesus said, if this happens to you and you're asked to move, you're going to feel some kind of way. He used the word shame. Anybody ever know what that was? Has that ever happened to you? I remember one time, Reverend White, I went to the ball game, Lakers game, or there was a Dodgers game, and I had my seat, but I saw some other seats <laughs> down closer to the field. They was empty in the first inning, empty in the second inning, empty in the third inning. So I thought, Brother Ed, ain't nobody coming. Let me go to my seat. Are y'all with me here? Y'all laughing at me, but y'all been there too. And I got comfortable putting my feet up right around third base. Y'all with me here? I was a fan. I was cheering on. And all of a sudden, this little bitty usher came right down to my row with this woman and her husband and said, sir, can I see your ticket? <laughs> Are y'all with me here? And I played it off. I started reading my... What row is this? Oh, I'm in the wrong row. Shame. I went all the way back up to my seat. Are y'all with me here? And guess what I had? I had the game, but my game was ruined by then. Why? 
Shame. Because I took somebody else's seat. Jesus is talking to me in this text. A well-known scholar commenting on this passage, Sister Wilson said, in Jesus' day, status symbols was a big thing. He said, they help people to enhance themselves in society. So who you were, or rather, but Jeff, what people thought about you was how you really lived your life. So if you were invited to the right party, if you were seated at the highest seat, then people really knew your name. Can I get a witness right to that? Now, in New Testament times, when they threw wedding feasts, the closer you sat to the guest of honor, it gave you status in the community. It helped you to climb what we call as the social ladder. So naturally, what they would do when they open the doors like those are open, people who wanted status, they ran to the chief seats. Why? Because they wanted to feel important. Can I pause right there for a minute? Isn't that somehow we all want to feel important? Come on, be honest with me. Nobody want to be overlooked. All of you want to feel like your boss see you or, man, that show was a good song you sang. Oh, boy, you blessed me with that meal. Nobody want to be overlooked. So it's not that feeling important is wrong. But it's wrong when you got a motive to be looked up to so you can look over others. Can I say some more? Kingdom people don't look for the world to give them their approval. Kingdom people don't look for the best seats. Stay in here with me, ladies. Or the hookups for events or parties. Kingdom people have humility. And humility tells them where to sit and how to act. Kingdom people are cool with whatever is available. Why? Because they know it's not where you sit. It's who you are. Can I say some more? Kingdom people, brother Sal, have character. Let me drive this home. If you're in here, say amen. amen. And character can sit anywhere and look good. Character can sit anywhere, brother Darian, and be in first class. Character can sit anywhere and make God pleased. Character can sit anywhere and still be important to anyone. Character is not predicated upon who sits next to you. Character is not about positions, privilege, or prestige. Listen to me. Character is about who you are and what you do when nobody's looking at you. And humility is found in people who have character. Can I tell you, if a person doesn't have humility, their character will be jacked up too. Can I unpack that, Sister Carla? 
A person with bad character will be smiling in this person's face. And as soon as they walk away, talk to you about them. That's a character problem. Gossipers have character issues. They can act like they're humble because they got a badge, they got a title, or they're over a ministry or a status, right? But how they behave on the phone tells you all about who they are. Can I get a witness right through there? Jesus is teaching us that humility is found in people who have character. He's literally schooling this crowd of Pharisees with this parable because they were those in the crowd who were trying to be something that they were not. Y'all catch it? We've looked at the believer's call to humility. Let's look now at the believer's call to honor. Somebody holler honor. In verse 10, the Bible says, after Jesus said this, but when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invites you comes, he may say to you, friend, come on, go up higher. And then you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself, he'll be humble like me at the Dodgers game. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Can I unpack it now? When we come to this portion of the text, we get to see Jesus call the same crowd to an understanding, Jasmine, of what true honor and humility looks like in the life of the one who has character. Warren Wisby said this, and I thought it was noteworthy to bring to you. He says, when Jesus advised this guest, these guests rather, to take the lowest places, he was not giving them a gimmick for how you can come up in the world. This, this was not act humble and then you'll get the hookup. Are you with me here? That's not what he's talking about. Jesus was saying this because false humility that takes the lowest place is just as hateful to God as the pride that takes the highest place. Are y'all with me here? In other words, God is not impressed by our status in society or our status in church. Can I say that again? God ain't impressed with me because my name is Reverend Doctor. God ain't impressed with you because of your name or your status. Your position don't impress God. Your behavior does. Are you listening? God is not influenced by what people say, Teresa, or think about us. Why? Because he knows the thoughts and the motives of your heart. Everybody in here, Jeff, could be saying, man, you're the greatest next thing to slice bread. God don't care what they say because he knows what's in your heart. He knows why you want the title to be called sliced bread. Can I say some more? God humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. James chapter 4, check it out, right? So watch the pride. Watch the desire for position. Watch the false 
humility. Like that's going to get you something. That's not what God is after. Francis Bacon said these words. Reverend Nichols, I think you appreciate this. He compared fame to a river. A river that carried light things and swollen things. But Bacon says the same river that carries the light things and the swollen things is the same river that drowns everything. In other words, fame in this life is like a river, beloved. It's deceitful. Are y'all with me here? And it drowns many folks. In fact, because of that river, people are drowning today because they decided they want to be famous. <laughs> y'all in here with me? Brother Ed, in fact, the truth is that being a star or being someone that the world is admired ain't all it's cracked up to be. Huh? Last I checked, famous people are checking out of here every day. And once you start that chase, it's like a high. You got to keep chasing it. Secondly, what I see in this passage is Jesus is reminding us, Sister Wilson, that the call of honor doesn't become of, it doesn't come to you because of what you are, but it comes to you because of who you are. Y'all catch that right there? In other words, Jesus said you ought to take the lowest seat so you can be invited to take the better seat when it's time. In other words, whoever exalts himself, they're going to be humble, like Wilson at the Dodger game. And he, he, he who humbles himself will be exalted. I notice in this passage, Deacon Roy, that this is just the opposite of what the world is telling me to do. Can you lean in for a minute and I can tell you what the world's telling me to do? The world says, Wilson, blow yourself up. Get Twitter, get Instagram, get Facebook, get, talk about you, post this, show that. Blow yourself up. You ain't got enough likes, Sean. Are you with me here? The world's telling me that. The world tells me, sell yourself. The world tells you, brag on yourself. The world tells you, exalt your name. The world tells you, build your brand, man. You got two doctorates now, two masters, a bachelor's. Come on, you've been in this thing 30 years. How come your brand ain't no bigger than it ought to be? world tells you nobody ever humbled or who's humble gets anywhere in life. You got to take what you want. That's what I'm just talking about me. I ain't talking about y'all. However, Jesus says, Angelus, just the opposite of what the world has to say. Well, Jesus says to me, be humble, son, and you'll get exalted. Jesus says, be humble, and I'll send promotion your way. Jesus says, be humble, and the rest will take care of itself. Jesus says, be humble, and good things will happen for you. Johnny, I read a story about a little old man who had a case of Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. And his case got so bad that he began to shake violently. And so he had to move in with his son and his daughter in love. His case got so bad that every time he would eat, y'all seen Parkinson's, he would spill his food all over the place. 
When he tried to walk and talk, he was shaking uncontrollably. And his case was bad. And so he was forced now to live with his children. One day, while sitting at the table, the daughter in love became irritated at the dad because his food began to clank on the dish. And she blew up at him and said, I can't take this. I deserve my happiness. You cannot eat at the table with me. And she forced the husband, who was the son, to move the daddy to the corner, face the wall, while he ate. This went on for a little while. One day, he had a real bad episode. And he was trying to eat his food, and he spilled it on the floor. The daughter again erupted and blew up and said, that's it. I'm tired. If you're going to act like a pig, you're going to eat like a pig. She made the husband get dad, who raised him, a wooden trough. Put his food in the trough. The dad said his heart was broken. He would be glancing at the table while they were in the corner. And one day they had a little four-year-old son, Rubber Nichols, and he was playing in the house and he had some wooden blocks. And dad said, son, what are you doing? He said, I'm making a trough so that when I get big, I can feed you and mama. Just like y'all feed daddy. The story is true, and it goes on to say that when the son heard this, he looked at the daughter, and with broken hearts, they begin to cry, and they moved daddy from that corner and brought him back to the table. Did you catch it? Here's what I learned. How you treat people today will determine how you are honored tomorrow. We've looked at the believer's call to honor. We've looked at the believer's call to humility. Let's look now at the call to help. The Bible says in verse 12 that then Jesus also said to the one who invited him. He's talked to the guests. Now he's talking to the host. Yes, he says right here, when you give a dinner or a supper, don't just ask your friends your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors because they're just going to invite you back and you'll be repaid. But instead, when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the maimed, invite the lame, and invite the blind. And if you do this, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For then you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Beloved, this final portion of our lesson, it opens up for us what I call is a call to help people who are less than fortunate. Lean in, stingy people. I want to talk to you today. I know you call it saving. 
I know you call it being smart with your money, right? And I know you only help people that you know. God's got a problem with that. Jesus is saying, quit throwing events that just your friends can come to. Or for just for those who will do the same for you. Y'all listening to me? He said, instead of doing an event for people who just going to turn around and have a party and invite you back to it, do something for somebody who can't do nothing for you in return. Do something for the poor that will bless them. This is Christianity, y'all. Y'all in here? He said, do something for the lame. That's the one that got to be carried in. You got to organize an Uber to bring them. Do something for the cripple that'll bless them. Do something for those who've been severely injured in life that will bless them. Do something for the blind people that can't see that will bless them. That's the call to ministry. I say some more. I'm, I'm off my script. I don't even know why I'm saying this, but I Oh shoot, I'm out here. I done gone too far. I'm like Evie Hill. I done went too far now. I might as well say it. I've been talking to people and they've been saying to me, preachers, man, I've been blessed in the pandemic. I'm saying, you've been blessed in the pandemic? Not, not new beginnings. We fell behind our rent. But our feeding ministry increased. Not one of our members was homeless. They had clothes. They had food even when they didn't have an income. Tell me more about this. You've been blessed in the pandemic. What you mean? You mean you hoarded the stuff that God gave you. What came in never went back out. I ain't got no problem with telling people, yeah, we six months behind in rent. No, we ain't got no problem, but you can come Friday, Saturday, or Sunday and get some food. You hungry? Guess what Jesus is saying? Wilson, you just do what I told you to do. Stay in the book. Quit throwing events for other people who already got stuff. Throw something for the people who don't have nothing. Y'all in here with me? I know I made a lot of people nervous, but I'm out here now. Listen, Jesus said, if you do this, then you'll be blessed. He didn't necessarily say you're going to get the money back. Can I tell you when he said you're going to get repaid? After the resurrection. <laughs> well, what, what do you mean? Can, can I walk right there for a minute? The resurrection for the believer, when Christ comes, the dead in Christ will rise and those of us who are alive and remain will be called up together to meet in the air with him. Then we enter into the awards phase of your ministry. There is no great white throne judgment for the believer. No, we don't go to the great white throne judgment because Jesus judged our sins at Calvary. The ones that go to the great white throne judgment are the ones that rejected the work at Calvary. When you and I get caught up together to be with him in the air, we go to a different type of ceremony. 
where your works get rewarded or disrejected. He said, that's when you're going to get paid. Quit looking to get paid on earth. I just said something right there. I know, I know we got this attitude. What's in it for me? Right? That's not kingdom thinking. You keep serving. Even when they don't say thank you, Brother Mel. Even when they get mad because you didn't give them enough in their box. Even when they get mad because they don't like the shoes you didn't gave them. Come on, talk to me, son. Even when they, if this is all you got, come on, talk to me. You know how, come on, y'all know how it is to help some people. He said, oh, that's okay. You ain't doing it for them. You're doing it for an audience of one. And I'm going to repay you at the resurrection. Jesus is calling this crowd to be involved with what I call the ministry of helps. Did you know that's a gift in Romans? The gift of helps. I like to say this, and Sister Wilson has to deal with me sometimes, but I got a case that I can't help it. I give it all away, and that's, they come in, she look at my wallet and say, okay, I'm going to take this right here. Because <laughs> she know by the end of the day, if I've been somewhere, I'm going to come home, Jeff, and it's all gone. Are you in here? I can't help it. Why? I think I got that gift. To give them help, you ask the administrators that come through, and they'll tell you, Pastor, give it all away. You better take it and put it somewhere where he can't get it. Come on, say amen, Dr. Hayward. They know I'm from. Dr. Hayward got my back. She know. We had that conversation all the time. Sister Cool ain't here, but she said, I'm pastor. <laughs> you know we got this bill coming in. Pastor, you know this is coming up, right? God is telling me. Look, look. This is important to him. Uh, let me say it this way and I'll get out of your way. God is telling me that he sees those people who are suffering in the earth. And his answer for them ain't welfare. His answer for them, Mama Cindy, ain't government subsidies. His answer for them is the believer. That's why he blesses you so you can give it away. <laughs> I'm trying, Fred. Help me, man. Lean in here. Help me. Listen, God sees people who are maimed in life. That word is interesting because it literally means to have your limbs severed. Have you ever seen somebody that lost a leg or an arm? The maimed, they can't go out and work because they got a physical problem. God sees those who life has been cruel to. God sees those that nobody else will help. He sees those who are broken and suffering. And in this text, he says, Wilson, you do something for them. I brought the homeless to your church and I parked them in your parking lot. What's going to be your excuse? You're running them off, but are you feeding them? I brought them to you in your zip code. What are you going to do? 
The Lord sees them. I'm going to tell you, when Sister Woods and I had this conversation, I have to keep reminding somebody, that's somebody's baby. And if you ain't careful, it could be yours. Now, you want them help now or later? All I'm trying to say is that the Lord, Reverend White, just got me here and I'm through. He sees those who are in need and he sees those who have the resources to help. In other words, he's looking at everything. I'm going to bless this one, John, and I'm going to see if he'll help that one. We're going to be without excuse. I want to push the envelope. You get mad at me, I'll deal with you later. Call me, okay? Go home and look at your savings account. Your checking account. And then if you add up your bills in the month, put the name of somebody next to one. That can be helped. Yes. I ain't telling you to give them everything. But I'm telling you what Jesus said. Yes. Who you going to help this month. And you can't tell me you ain't got it because you're looking good in here smelling good. You're right. You're right. You got it. Well, I'm about through. Somebody said, about time. <laughs> but let me send you home with one more story. In 1878, Brother Thaddeus, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, his ministry took off in Europe. And when he began to make his mark, Brother Jesse, in its heyday, people flocked from all around the world to become a part of this ministry called the Salvation Army. William Booth had this amazing ability to draw people who had a heart for God and they wanted to do something. There was this very popular preacher who lived in America whose name was Samuel Bringle. And, and Pastor Samuel was so popular, in our day, he would have been called a bishop. When he heard about William Booth's ministry, uh, brothers and sisters, he resigned his position at his church to go and be a part of this worldwide movement. When he got there, he met General Booth, and, and Booth began to explain the ministry to the Salvation Army, but, but Booth was troubled by Bringle. He said, Bringle, I'm afraid that as a bishop, you've been on your own too long. You've been your own boss too long. So in order to get you acclimated to who the Salvation Army is, this is going to be your ministry assignment. Mm -hmm. I want you to polish the boots of every enlisted minister in this movement. Bringle was taken back for a moment and started to think to himself, I'm, I'm Bringle. I didn't cross the Atlantic Ocean to come here and shine boots. And as he was working with an attitude, the Lord visited him. The story is told, true story. He saw a vision of Jesus 
bending over and washing the feet of unintelligent fishermen. Gringo got so convicted with tears down his eyes, he said, Lord, if you can wash the feet of unintelligent fishermen, I can blacken the boots of these Salvation Army soldiers. Are y'all listening to here? What, 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 what is that all about? Well, it's not the task you serve. It's who you are serving for. Y'all catch that right there? It's not who you working, right, to get approval from, but it's who you're serving for. I have to serve for the audience of one. Uh, I was telling the Bible class this week, I got discouraged with the pandemic. I got discouraged with Bible class because I can't get my people to log on to study God's word. I can't get them to pray. I can't get them to come to the parking lot. I can't get them to come to give. I was just ready, white, to throw up my hands. And then the Lord reminded me, who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for them? Are you doing it under me? And I believe somebody need to park the car right there and ask that question. You're getting discouraged with them children. You're getting discouraged with them grandbabies. You're getting discouraged in that community. Ask yourself, son or daughter, who am I doing it for? Are you with me here? And like Stella, girl, you get your groove back. Go back and remind yourself. Why you sing and ask them when they won't raise their hands? Go back and ask yourself why you praying for them right when they won't return your call. I got to leave you now. But Jesus, he came to model true humility. Didn't he do it? I heard Paul said he humbled himself and became a servant. Came down to earth to serve a broken Humanity. Jesus modeled for us humility when he allowed puny man to take him up Golgotha's hill, stretch him wide, drop him low. Didn't he do it? And out on the cross, he models honor for us when he laid down his life so that the Father, yes. Will be pleased, will be glorified in his death. Out on the cross, he demonstrated what helping others really looks like. You know, nobody at Calvary told him thank you. Nobody stopped in the process and said, Thank you, Son of God, for dying for us. Are y'all with me? He died. That all of those who were killing him might be saved. He ain't finished either. The writers say he went into the grave. Why? To take the sting out of death. Why, Pastor? So the grave won't hold you. When you die, how many times have you thanked him for that? And then early. I said early. Good Baptist church be standing right there early. Sunday morning, God the Father raised him back to life because he modeled humility. He modeled honor. And 
I'm glad right here, Jesse. He modeled helping others. He did all that. So you and I can do just like him in the earth. Isn't that good news today? Uh, I'm through preaching. But the old saints, they had something that we don't have in this generation. They had good theology. They wrote a song. And I'm going to try to sing it. Reverend Willow, I'm, I'll flatten it out. You just help me, son, okay? <laughs> the song said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Anybody out here know that? Nancy, you know that, darling? No? Sister White, come on, grab one of these mics and sing for me, would you? Come on, bless us. Let's give Lady White a hand. She knows it. God sent his son, they call him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive, he bled and Thank you, darling.